Uh, whenever I come back here, I have lots of memories. Uh, seeing uh, Joel up here uh, brought back a memory. And uh, apparently yesterday he was talking to one of his good friends, Timmy Timmons. Tim, I still call him Timmy. Uh, both of them were in a discipleship program I started for six-year-old boys. I was, uh, I was a little fanatic when I was younger. And so the children's pastor at the church convinced me that we should be making disciples of boys and girls. So I decided I'm going to work with these six-year-olds. So uh, Joel and uh, Timmy were in my group. And one time we were on Pacific Coast Highway. I can't believe Christy and um, the Owens are here. So I'm a little worried about this, especially mom. Anyway, we were on uh, Pacific Coast Highway and the boys were in the car, my truck with me, and they asked if they could put the ski goggles on that were behind the seat, which was okay. So they put those on. Then they asked if they could stand up in the seat and stand up through the moonroof thing, uh, the sunroof, all the way out. And then they asked if they could take the ski poles and give me directions where to drive. <laughs> so we were going up Pacific Coast Highway with two boys with ski goggles on, <laughs> with ski poles, you know, like, turn left here, and, you know. And uh, so anyway, we drove back to the neighborhood where they lived, and I got him back inside the car. I knew that would be good. And uh, so we dropped off Joel, and then I think the Timmonses lived like right next door or something maybe, really close. And we drove there, and I took Timmy up to the door, and Carol asked me if I could come in for a moment and sit down. <laughs> so I sat down, and Tim, the pastor of my church, was sitting next to her. They're married. You know, that's Tim Timmons, and he was my boss. I'm an intern in the church, and it's his son. And she says, uh, Daniel, uh, is it possible we think we saw your truck on Pacific Coast Highway? <laughs> it appeared that there were two young men standing up in the truck wearing ski goggles. Hard to tell if one of them was Timmy with the goggles on, but they appeared to have uh, ski poles. <laughs> All I remember is Tim said something about George Patton, you know, like they were, you know, tank drivers or something. And uh, I'm thankful today that I wasn't fired right there and that I went on to be a children's worker after all that. God uh, be praised for that. And I'm also thankful I met my wife, Marla, who uh, got me straightened out. <laughs> uh, the, she, did you hear that? She said she's still working on it. <laughs> the uh, ministry started in 1993, helping churches not do stuff like that. Uh, helping churches disciple boys and girls all over the world. And um, we have work in 15 countries. It was uh, 13 until about a month ago. And we started working in Jordan and Lebanon and have started helping churches in those two countries in what I would say is unprecedented opportunities to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with Muslim families there, especially children that are three and a half million refugees in that country. I've never seen anything like it. It's extraordinary opportunity for the gospel. And we're doing field research to start work in Kenya, Russia, and a country that's near and dear to my heart because one out of five children live in India. And our goal is to start ministries in those countries that'll help children's workers in churches disciple boys and girls in their communities there. This church has been part of our ministry since we started. And we are so thankful for the financial support you've given to us. Some of you have traveled to the countries where we serve. And most of you have prayed for our ministry over the years. So let me pray and thank God for this church and the part you've played in our ministry work.
God, we are so thankful for the opportunities that you give us to serve with you in ministry. And Lord, we're, we're thankful together as a big family for the opportunity that we've had to minister to boys and girls in countries around the world and bring them hope and purpose, forgiveness, grace, mercy, acts of kindness, and they can experience the life that you intend for them. And Lord, I'm thankful for Grace Church and for the people that make it a church and the gracious way that they've supported our work and been part of our work uh, for so many years. So Lord, I pray your blessing on this church as they've blessed our ministry. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. I brought a, uh, it's a food product revered in our home. It's the avocado. And uh, the reason the avocado has a place of, uh, a favorite place in our family is because we lived in Poland for 10 years, uh, from 1991 to 2001, and there were no avocados for the first three years we lived there. And if you're from Southern California, avocados are pretty much a staple. And we miss them badly. And uh, we'd lived there three years, I'm guessing, 1994 or so, and we walked into a little produce store, and there it was. An avocado, there was two of them actually, from Israel, sitting on the shelf, apparently for sale. I walked up, I didn't even know how to say avocado in Polish, but it didn't matter. I uh, asked him, how, do you, you know, how much is the avocado? Uh, something like, ile tokostuje ten avocado. And just as I said it, I heard a voice in my ear. It doesn't matter. And it was Marla. She'd come right up behind me. It's like if they're $5 a piece, we're buying them both. And uh, they, were, they were. They were like two fifty dollars or some crazy amount of money in Poland those days. And we bought both avocados. And uh, one of the things we learned was uh, the reason we loved avocados so much, we're so thankful, is because we didn't have them for uh, two or three years there. And things that you lose or don't have are the things that you're thankful for frequently. And that's what I wanted us to talk about this morning is thankfulness. And the reason I wanted us to talk about thankfulness is because when you look at the resurrection accounts in the Bible, you find a kind of common reaction among the disciples and Christ followers. So I want you to look with me quickly. There's three um, places in three different gospels, Matthew, Luke, and John. We probably can't run there quickly, but you could write them down at least and look them up later if you'd like. In Matthew 28, 8, after the resurrection, it says that, um, so the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. In Luke 24, 52, it says that then they worshiped him, and return to Jerusalem with great joy. And in John 20, 20, it's, uh, it reads, After he said this, he showed them his hands and side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. So one of the consistent reactions of Jesus' followers was joy. When they saw the resurrected Lord, they were filled with joy, and joy was characteristic of their reaction. And when I was reading these passages the week before Easter Sunday, 
I was reading a book, and in the book it said that joy is closely related to thankfulness. And John Piper said it this way. In a little article he wrote about gratitude and grace. He said, happiness is linked to situations, emotions, feelings, and circumstances. The focus is on the actual gift given. Joy, on the other hand, is related to an abiding sense of God's grace where the focus is on the giver. And in that understanding of thankfulness, we find the connection to joy. Thankfulness is the Greek word for Eucharist, which we'll celebrate today. It's the the word for the communion that we're about to have is related to the word thankfulness. And thankfulness, Eucharist, comes from the Greek word charis, which is grace. Thankfulness is a gift from God, and it causes joy in the believer. So this morning, I wanted us to look at this issue of thankfulness and go to one of the greatest psalms in the Bible. In fact, it was Martin Luther's favorite psalm, and it's a psalm that occupies a very unique place in the life of Jewish people even unto this day. And it's Psalm 118. So if you have your Bible, we're going to spend uh, some time looking at Psalm 118. And I'm actually going to read the entire psalm. It's uh, kind of funny. The Psalm 117 right before it is the shortest psalm in the Bible. It's uh, two verses. Psalm 119 that follows is the longest psalm in the Bible that goes through the whole Hebrew alphabet. Psalm 118 is a psalm of thanksgiving, and I'm going to read it uh, beginning of verse 1. I'm reading from the NIV, and you can follow along. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let Israel say, his love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his love endures forever. When hard-pressed, I cried to the Lord. He brought me into a spacious place. The Lord was with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I look in triumph on my enemies. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than trust in humans. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All the nations surround me, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. They surrounded me on every side, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. They swarmed around me like bees, but they were consumed as quickly as burning thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them down. I was pushed back and about to fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. I will not die, but live, and will proclaim what the Lord has done. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open for me the gates of the righteous. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks, for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. 
The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine on us. With bows and hands, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Before we look at the actual text, let me just make a few preliminary observations. So the first one is Psalm 118 is one of the so-called Psalms of Thanksgiving in the Bible. Uh, Psalm 34 that we did the responsive singing to is another Psalm of Thanksgiving. Psalm 100, Psalm 107. There's a long list of Psalms of Thanksgiving in the Bible. Second observation is you noted the Psalm begins and ends with the same phrase. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. You also noted, if you were listening, that the writer uses repeated phrases for emphasis. Things like, his love endures forever. The Lord is with me. The Lord is my refuge. In the name of the Lord, I cut them down. The Lord's right hand. And the psalmist uses those phrases over and over for teaching purposes to emphasize a point that he wants to make in the psalm. And then most important for our study this morning is the psalm has a kind of poetic, lyrical cadence to it in Hebrew, and therefore it wasn't read the way I just read it in English. It was sung, and it was a song of thanksgiving, a hymn of thanksgiving, and it's sung as such even today in Jewish communities. So we can look at the psalm, and we're going to divide it up into three sections, and we're not going to be able to look at all three of them. Uh, the first section is verses 1 through 4, and that's where there's a, a kind of call to thankfulness. And then in 5 through 18, where we will look, the king gives thanks, and he personally wants to thank God in the psalm. And then in 19 through 29, the king is leading the people in a procession of thankfulness through the gates into the city and into the temple to the horn of the altar, it reads. So what, is, what I wanted us to look at first is how the king thanks God in the psalm. So he's leading this hymn of thanksgiving, and his thankfulness is rooted in a very difficult time for the king. And he uses words to describe the difficulties that he faces. So look in verse 5. He says, I was hard pressed. I cried out to the Lord. He talks about in verse 10 being surrounded. He talks in verse 11 about being surrounded on every side. In verse 12, he talks about uh, being attacked by some kind of swarm of bees. And in verse 13, he talks about being pushed back to the point where he would even fall. 
So the point the king is making in the psalm is, is that in a psalm of thanksgiving, he's recounting difficulties, challenges, and setbacks that he's facing. And I want you to notice that he doesn't speak about it in the past tense. He's speaking about it in the present when he says things like, the Lord is with me. Uh, it's current. He's facing difficulties. And I wanted us to note that even in the face of his difficulties, he manages to maintain a heart of thankfulness. And that was my first thought for us today. Uh, we're all here this morning, and no matter who you are, you have difficulties and challenges before you. Uh, maybe it's challenges in the workplace. Maybe it's wayward children. Maybe it's sickness that you're experiencing yourself or someone you love. Maybe like me, you're just getting older and things break down. There's problems in relationships in your church. There's issues with elderly parents. There's financial crises that come. There's marital conflicts. There's a combination of those. And in fact, I could spend most of the morning listing all the challenges and difficulties we face. I want us to look at how the king responds. In verse 6, he says, the Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. He says in verse 8 that he takes refuge in the Lord. And the king's response is to not live in fear, to focus on the presence of the Lord and the Lord as a refuge, and chooses in the face of difficulties to be a thankful person. So I wanted to just suggest that when we face difficulties, we can choose to be thankful. We can choose to not focus solely on the problems before us. We can choose not to move to a place of fear and despair. And we can focus on the Lord and be thankful in difficult situations. Some years ago, I was in uh, Kazakhstan. We were thinking about starting ministry work there, and I was in a meeting with some pastors. I was the only American there, and we had a devotional in the morning about thankfulness. And then you're supposed to go around the group and share something you're thankful for. And I was a little nervous because, you know, these, these are like serious people. They're uh, working in very difficult situations in a Muslim country. And I got, they got to the pastor, you know, three or four around for me, and he said, I'm, I'm thankful that our church got bombed on New Year's Eve. It was like in February, March, when, this, when I was there. And I remember thinking, what? Yeah, he said, our church was bombed on, on New Year's Eve, and somebody in the congregation was actually killed. They were there for an all-night prayer vigil on New Year's Eve, and the church was bombed. Someone was killed, and we thank God for that. And I remember thinking, that's just like weird. Who thanks God for their church being bombed? And somebody asked something, and he went on to say that uh, on New Year's morning, the police came, and 
there was like a team and they're all Muslim police officers and they were doing their like forensic stuff the way they do it in Kazakhstan there. And at the end of the uh, time, the police inspector, the chief inspector guy, came up to the pastor kind of on the side and said, uh, do, do you have a Bible? I've, uh, I've always wanted to read the Bible, he said, but I never met a Christian and could never find a Bible. Do you have a Bible? And the pastor uh, gave him a Bible. And two days later, the inspector came back, said he had to, like, you know, do some more forensic whatever and tie up a few loose ends, and this time by himself, and asked if he could have a couple more Bibles because he had a couple of friends that wanted to read the Bible with him. They were reading the Gospel of John. And uh, they gave him a couple more Bibles. And about two weeks later, the guy came back to sort of finish everything out on the inspection and ask if he could get some, a lot more Bibles because he had about 30 men that were meeting to read the Gospel of John. And then he said, that's why we're thankful. If they hadn't bombed our church, uh, he would have never come there. And now we have 30 Muslim men reading God's word and we're thankful that our church got bombed. And uh, that's the attitude that the king has in Psalm 118 and that you and I can have when we face difficulties and challenges. And I am speaking as much to myself as I am to you. It is so difficult when you face challenges to maintain a heart of thankfulness. So the psalm goes on to recall how God rescued the king. And then, as I mentioned earlier, you get to the third section of the psalm, and it's where the um, king is leading the procession through the gates of Jerusalem, and uh, he's taking the people up to the altar to pray and to give thanks to God. And we don't really have time to dig into all of that. Uh, but what I do want us to look at uh, is the phrase that starts the psalm and ends the psalm because it's so beautiful and worthwhile to look at. And so I want us to look at the phrase, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. And I want us to think about what does it mean when we speak about God being good? And if you look at the Hebrew word here, you realize there's like a lot of meanings to good. It's this Hebrew word tob, and it has meanings like uh, value economically. It's, you know, worthwhile economically. Things like good fruit or a good price or a good value. It's about something's economic uh, value, its worth in a material sense. It also can be used to refer to beauty, uh, something akin to the word we use today, good looking. So it can be used to describe the, the quality of beauty in someone. And then, of course, it can be used to describe moral excellence. It's just good as in terms of right and wrong. And I wanted to suggest that when the psalmist, in the spirit of thanksgiving in this psalm, says... Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. He's referring to all three of those things. He's speaking about God's value. He's speaking about the beauty of God. He's speaking about the moral excellence of our God. He's speaking about the worth of God. 
And the king has experienced that in this psalm. If you look, the king has experienced this idea of salvation, and it comes up several times in the sense of him being saved in the midst of battle, in the sense of his uh, salvation spiritually. It's a cry that he makes in verse 25. If you look in verse 14, he says, The Lord is my strength and my defense. He's become my salvation. Salvation, in that sense, being understood as being, that he's helping me out in the everyday challenges I face. And he's rescuing me, so to speak. In verse 21, I will give thanks for you. I will give you thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. It has a much wider spiritual overtone to it. And then in verse 25, he says, the Lord, he says, Lord, save us. And he's referring to this notion that God can save a person out of their difficulties. What I wanted us to note is the reason the psalm starts with this notion that give thanks to the Lord for he is good is that that's one of the keys to thankfulness is dwelling on the goodness of God in two ways. The way the psalmist dwells on the goodness of God is who he is, his moral excellence, his beauty. The character of God is something that when we dwell on it, makes us thankful. And the second way that the psalmist talks about God's goodness is the way that God's acted on his behalf and done things for the king and the people of God. One of the keys to having a life of thankfulness is focusing on the character of God and what he's done for you. Uh, there's a quote in the bulletin. Thankfulness isn't just a way of being a bit less grumpy and a little more cheerful. It's a habit of the heart. And one of the ways that we develop that habit is by dwelling on the person of God and what he's done for us. So that's what I'd like to do right now. Um, it's the children's worker in me. I want you to think right now about some quality of God that you're thankful for. And I want you to just write it down on a piece of paper. And then I want you to think about something that God's done for you. And write that down on a piece of paper. And then tell him so. Just quietly in your own heart. Something about God you're thankful for. And something he's done on your behalf. And just take a moment to do that. Well, for me, I'm thankful for God's word that we're studying today. I'm thankful that we have a Bible, uh, that we all have gotten an education and we can read it. Um, we've done training work in Upper Egypt where children's workers come to Sunday school training and they don't have a Bible, they don't have a pencil, they don't have any paper. We didn't understand why and the reason was they can't read and write when they're teaching Sunday school in their churches. Isn't that amazing? 
So I'm thankful for the word, and we can read it, study it, and I'm thankful for my wife, Marla, because God's used her in a lot of ways, as I, you can tell from the earlier story regarding the ski goggles. So let me pray on everyone's behalf and thank God for who he is and what he's done for us. God, we are mindful of uh, your beauty, your moral excellence. Uh, you're never wrong. There's no bad thought in you. We're so thankful for your love and mercy, the kindness that is in you. And Lord, we uh, just want to acknowledge that this morning and be thankful for it. And Lord, we all have so many testimonies about the way that you've worked in our lives, and we thank you for it. I thank you for my wife and for the many ways that you've used her uh, to help me grow in Christ-likeness. And we pray together in Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, the last thing I wanted us to look at is um, why this psalm is so famous in the Jewish world. And what I want us to do is um, look, if you can put one hand uh, in Psalm 118, I want us to look over in Exodus 15. Can you flip over there? This is another really famous passage in the Old Testament. Let me give you just a little of the background. You all know this probably. Uh, the Israelites had been imprisoned, enslaved in Egypt and uh, hadn't been imprisoned, enslaved. They're living in, under the control of the Egyptians, had no freedom. There were slaves there, and God heard their pleas, rescued them out of slavery, uh, caused them to be freed from Egypt. They went to the Red Sea. They crossed through the Red Sea, and God rescued them all the way out to the Promised Land. And when they crossed the Red Sea, in that dramatic moment where the people of God come through, and then the armies of Egypt are destroyed. When they get to the other side of the sea, Moses busts out a song uh, of thanksgiving. And he wants to sing about what God's done for the Israelites. And this is a very famous passage of Jewish people. As soon as you start it, you wouldn't have to tell them where it was at. Everybody would know this is the song of Moses. I want us to just look at the first two verses uh, and then in verse uh, 6 also. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My father's God, and I will exalt him. And in verse 6, he writes, Your right hand, Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, Lord, shattered the enemy. If you look over in Psalm 118, everybody back there with me? In verse 14, it says, The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. And in verse 28, it says, you are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. And then remember the times in verse 16 and in verse uh, 15 when the psalmist speaks specifically about the Lord's right hand of deliverance and power. 
it would appear that the psalmist, when he wrote Psalm 118, purposely gathered up those phrases from Moses' song and put them into the Psalm of Thanksgiving, Psalm 118. And this is how Jewish people understand Psalm 118. So in the psalm, it's, I told you it was sung as a hymn when the Israelites would celebrate Passover. That uh, tradition was instituted after they arrived in the Promised Land. And from that time on, once Psalm 118 was written, it became attached at the end of the Passover celebration. So when you finished celebrating Passover, you sang Psalm 118. And if you go to a Jewish Seder today, at the very end, the last thing they do is sing Psalm 118 in Hebrew. And the reason that Moses sang the song, and the reason the psalmist puts it in Psalm 118, is because we need to remember the way God has rescued us and saved us and not forget. The whole point of Psalm 118 in so many ways and Moses' song is to help the Israelites be thankful and not forget that you were slaves and God rescued you out into the promised land. For us not to forget that we were slaves to sin and Jesus has rescued us out to a new life in a new land, so to speak. And that was crucial for the future of Israel and it became a problem. When the Israelites forgot what God had done, when you, I know when you read Exodus, we're all baffled by the amazing things that God did in Egypt the amazing crossing of the Red Sea, and just a few weeks, months later, they've forgotten. And forgotten means you don't remember. It means you're not thankful. It means you are not a person of gratitude. It means that you're a person who begins to be afraid and fearful moves to despair, and ultimately, with the Israelites, rebellion against the God who had saved them because they forgot. At the end of the Passover meal, they sing Psalm 118 to remember what God did for the Israelites in Egypt. It's fascinating to think at the end of the Last Supper, the last song that Jesus and his disciples sang on this earth was Psalm 118 that we just read. And it's a reminder to us this morning about remembering what God's done for us. Too often, thankfulness dies in our forgetting. Forgetting through familiarity. I have to say that last week when I went to the grocery store and bought three avocados, I didn't hoot for Thanksgiving over the avocados. Because now getting an avocado is like no big deal. And that's where 
thankfulness comes under assault in our familiarity and our forgetfulness. The things that are familiar, we tend to forget, and those things we forget, we're not thankful for. Some years ago, I was in um, Siberia. Our church in Poland sent a short-term missions team there, and I got recruited to go. It's kind of cool to go on a short-term missions trip from a Polish church to Siberia. I was the only American. I, didn't, I felt like I was Polish, though, so it was good. And uh, it was like a transportation extravaganza. Uh, we, let's see, if you remember it all, it was wild. Uh, let's see, we took the taxi to the train station in Krakow, then we took the train to Warsaw, took a bus to the airport, flew to Moscow to the Sheremetyevo airport, and then we had to get a Russian bus, oh, that was exciting, I was by myself, to the domestic terminal and got on an aeroflop, I called it, uh, Tupolev jet, you know, the ones that crash and people die, and, then we flew eight hours to uh, Novosibirsk, and they told me somebody would meet me at the airport. When we got to the airport, the plane rolled up, and they, I'm not kidding you, the tractor came out with a wagon, and they put the luggage in it, and you walked over, and then the wagon came around, and you got your luggage off. And then I look up, and there's only one dude there with a sign, and it says Weiss, W-E-I-S-S. -S. Well, my last name's Watts, but that's the only sign. So I thought, it's close enough. <laughs> so I go with this guy. He can't speak any English, no Polish. My Russian's like pretty horrible. And we spent like the sleep. I slept a little bit at their place. And he tells me the next morning, we're going to get a boat to go to this town called Ust Barguzin. And it's on Lake Baikal. Lake Baikal is the largest lake in the world. 20% of the world's fresh water is in Lake Baikal. It's like from here to San Francisco. It's awesome. Well, unless you're in a boat on it in Russia. So anyway, <laughs> I get on the boat, and it's a hydrofoil. And there's like 90 Russians all start drinking vodka at like 9 o'clock in the morning. And off we go, up Lake Baikal. I don't even know what the heck's going on. And they give me this little map. It's all in Cyrillic. You know, I can't even read the thing. So we leave at 9. It's 3 o'clock in the afternoon. We're out in the middle of the lake. And I'm like having anxiety attacks. It was horrible. I remember Tom Wilson was on the board of our mission. When I came home and told the story about traveling like this, he was like, oh, my gosh, we need to get a new, new leader for the ministry. Anyway, I finally, um, the boat just came up to this dock and stopped. It was like 5 o'clock at night, and it's dark. And he's like, okay, that's it. Get off the boat in Russian. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm not having an anxiety attack. And I looked across the, like, little area there on the dock wharf thing, and suddenly a guy from our Polish church walks around the corner I told Marla later, I had just a hint of what it's going to be like when Jesus comes back. <laughs> Seriously, I was like, oh my God, I love you, man. <laughs> so he gets me, we go to this house. I stayed with this family. They had three kids, uh, two little girls. They were twins, exactly the age of my daughter. So beautiful. It was a disaster there. 80-something percent unemployment. This guy made $16 a month. They had no running water. They had wells outside that you went to get water from, outhouses. She asked me if uh, I wanted tea one night. It was raining. I said yes, and she put the tea kettle out the window, and it's running off the roof into it. And they would go get um, bush stuff from the woods and make tea because they didn't have real tea. And it was really bad, really horrible situation there. And uh, so I was there four days, and we got ready to leave to come back, and I wanted to do something to say thank you to them. And 
So I kind of snuck out of the house and went over to this like um, this old kind of communist style grocery store. And it had fruit and vegetables in it. You would never have seen this sold anywhere in the United States, anywhere. It was super like bruised bananas and really bad. But, you know, I wanted to say thanks. So I got four apples, four bananas, four oranges, and a slice of watermelon. And I took it back to the house. And when I walked into the house, the, uh, the girls went running out to get their dad like I bought him a Mercedes-Benz, I swear. It was, in, it, was, it was unbelievable, really. I'll never forget this experience ever in my whole life. This, like, changed my whole life. Those two girls go running out there, and they're like, they're all stoked. We're having an international f f uh, fruit festival, they said. The mom's in the kitchen washing the bananas. Right? Who washes a banana? You can appeal it, and they cut up the fruit, put it on the table. We're sitting around the table, and I prayed in Polish, and then the two girls took the orange quarters and put them in their mouths. You know, you can get that, like, orange, you know, gum thing going, and, and then they started crying. They're laughing, smiling, and tears running down their cheeks. I look over at the mom, and she's got a piece of orange, biting it, tears running down her face while she's smiling and almost laughing. I'd never really seen anybody cry. They were so happy. And then I looked down at this huge Russian dude with a big mustache thing, and he's got a banana and a big tear. Guys, he was a bruiser. Big tear goes down his cheek. And I remember thinking, like, this is pitiful. They're so happy to have fruit. And okay, I've never heard the voice of God in my life, but this had to be like one of the closest times. Because in that moment, I heard almost audibly the Lord say so clearly, do not feel sorry for them. Feel sorry for yourself and all your friends because they have something you don't have. And that is thankfulness. And I remember just that just like came over me like somebody dropped a ton of bricks on me. We finished eating. I didn't eat any fruit. I just couldn't believe it. And I left the next morning. It took me like five days to get back to Poland. And it gives you a lot of time to think about stuff. And I started thinking, and, you know, the um, truth is the reason they're thankful for fruit is because they don't have any. And they were so thankful to have uh, orange. I thought, when was the last time I cried? I was so happy to eat a banana. Like, never. And then I thought, you know, it's the things that are familiar to us that we just take for granted and we're not thankful for. And then I started thinking and thinking and on the train, and then I thought about Jesus himself. I've been a Christian for 30-some years. And our relationship with Jesus Christ can become like an old shoe. We've known him, and you know, we're just not, you just don't think about it much. It's familiarity, breeds, forgetfulness, which makes us not thankful. I thought about it in my marriage, with my children. I got 10 fingers. I can walk. I have so much to be thankful for. It's the things that we take for granted that we forget, and then we become people who aren't thankful. So the final message from Psalm 118 this morning is, 
when we face difficulties in life, we can head into them with an attitude of thankfulness. And if we focus on the qualities of God and what he's done for us, we can become people who have a heart habit of thankfulness. And let's not forget all the things that God's done for us. Let's purposely look at the familiar things today and be thankful for them. And let's let the people of God be characterized by thankfulness. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful, and we are most thankful for Jesus. And uh, it's so appropriate that at this time of the year, we're thinking about his life, death, resurrection, and we are thankful for that. Uh, we're thankful for the new life that's uh, been given to us through faith in Christ. Lord, we are thankful for all the simple things that we take for granted, our shoes, clothing, eyesight, hearing, our families. Lord, you are a gracious and good God, and I pray that you would help us to be a people who are characterized by thankfulness. We love you, we praise you, and we say thank you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.